Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. <sighs> we did it! I still can't believe we got this project done so fast and so well. When I'm in New York. I'm in Chicago. And I'm in L.A. But we're making it happen in Miro. Together. Our best work just happens faster on Miro's collaborative online whiteboard. No more scheduling meeting after meeting for work that could happen from anywhere. Whether it's getting design feedback here. Mapping timelines here or brainstorming next steps here. It all just happens on the Miro board. Exactly. And it's nice not having to wait an entire day to get sign-off from this guy. Hey! Well, it is true. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com. The first three boards are free forever. That's M-I-R-O.com. Everybody and welcome to another brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. It's early. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, I know. Apparently, I did not do my vocal stretches this morning. Yeah, you got to. Uh, uh, you got to get it in there, man. You gotta get it in there. Remember those vocal stretches from way back at Florida State? I remember that shaking the leg. The human out. torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> I think you say the Falcon now. The Falcon was denied a bank loan. There's a, there's a Falcon and Winter Soldier reference. Anyway, uh, we're going to get into so many things here today uh, on the Geek Buddies. We're excited that you all are joining us. There's a lot that's happened in the world of geekdom. We're going to preview a conversation for uh the new game of thrones series that is premiering this sunday we'll talk a little ezra miller news we're also going to get into some trailers and our main topic is going to be something that all of you have clamored for uh and that is for our thoughts on the sandman series i got fi- i finally finished watching it yesterday these two gentlemen were a little bit ahead of me on watching it so we're going to talk about all of that but um well, let's introduce ourselves first i am the outlaw john roca writer producer and host here on the geek buddies mike I am Michael Vogel, a uh, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies, and somebody who actually sounds like a human being when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> oh, there it is. Shannon. And this is Shannon McClung. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of uh, my latest works uh, writing for Mr. Michael Vogel on Strawberry Shortcake Berry in the Big City, the episode that debuted this past Sunday, which uh, which is a particularly fun one. And because our episodes come in packs of two, the one just after it is a wonderful musical episode written by the boss man up there himself. Ooh, all right. That's me. I get to write the musicals. That's cool. That's so cool. Uh, and also, we should be uh, we should mention that Carbon Health powers and sponsors us here on 
the Outlaw Nation, specifically the Geek Buddies, for sure. They've got 125 locations nationwide, 80 plus locations in California. They're a fantastic healthcare company. You've got a qu- any questions, concerns, or needs dealing with your healthcare? CarbonHealth.com is the place you want to go to. They've got virtual care, in person care. There's clinics, as I said, all over the country for you to visit if you need to. Sometimes you can get day of appointments, which is not easy to do, depending on how busy that clinic is to see you. They believe in creating healthcare plans for everybody that are specific to their goals and needs. These are fantastic people, ladies and gentlemen. If you've been on the fence about getting your healthcare taken care of, and look, all of us nerds and geeks, not a lot of us are really good at getting to the gym and working out consistently and doing whatever. Not all of us are Michael Vogel. So we certainly need to make sure we got to monitor our bodies and make sure we're doing okay so we can be around for a while. So head on over to CarbonHealth.com, get checked out today, or download their app to have a doc in your pocket for any of those healthcare questions you have on the Go. That's about the most seamless I've ever done that. Thank God. Um, another except, announcement. Except for the part where you profiled all geeks as being out of shape, but sure. Listen, I, hey, you said it. I didn't. I said they were. Uh, they had trouble with it. I didn't say they were. Out of uh, hey, to all you to all you sexy geeks listening right now, I see you. I see good. you. That's that's very sweet of him. Uh, but let's uh, make a big announcement. We announced this on social media, and we didn't announce it on the show. So we should probably announce it on the show that the Geek Buddies are now our podcast stream, our podcast feed is now on iHeartRadio. We closed the deal a couple of weeks ago. So very big announcement for us, very big move for us over to iHeartRadio. Thank you to them for reaching out to us and having the conversation about it. And uh, the Geek Buddies and uh, all three of us got together, talked about it, and definitely were on board with it. And they've been fantastic on getting us over. Some of you who listen to us on the podcast feed, we know you were a bit up, we've been a bit kind of thrown off by the ads. So that's our fault. We should have spoken about this, should have said this. So right off the bat, we're telling you, this is how the show is going to work. We're going to take breaks in between all the topics real quick, and then we're going to jump back in when you're watching on a YouTube channel. We're scheduling these breaks so that we can make it easier to put ads into the show so people don't get thrown off when they're listening to us with random ads that pop up, which some of you have been complaining about over the last two weeks. So our apologies for not being more upfront about that, but we are making the changes now. So it's a much smoother experience for you all to listen to us. And if you haven't downloaded us on the podcast, I cannot recommend you do this to do it enough. We need more numbers coming in every week so we can attract more advertisers, keep this show going and build the audience. So even if you watch us here on YouTube, please subscribe to us wherever you download us on podcast, wherever you, wherever you download your podcasts so we can get more numbers, leave a review, leave stars. Michael's going to tell you to do that at the end of the show as well, but I'm telling you that now right off the bat, but this so is John, great. Yes. Great news, gentlemen. iHeartRadio is pretty good stuff. It right? is great news. I, it is great news. iHeartRadio hearts, the geek buddies and the geek buddies heart. iHeartRadio. <laughs> um, I, uh, I do. So if you are watching us on YouTube, this new format does mean that we get a lot more Shannon McClung musical interludes. Is that That's correct? True. Okay. We're upping no pressure. the workload on Shannon. No pressure. No pressure, McClung. No pressure. <sighs> Especially with that, that opening salvo of how he said buddies. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, we'll, be, we'll be back right after this. It's <laughs> a bunch of Leonard Cohen breaks. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right, anyway, so um the way so the way that works the show works for those of you who don't know, as I mentioned earlier, these are the topics we're gonna talk about. We, we each present a geek news I my <laughs> sorry. 
We each present a geek news item. Take a break. Yes. When we talk about our main topic, and our main topic is Sandman. It's a good thing. It's a good thing we got carbon health. Oh my god, I may have to go visit him today. Sorry, y'all. This is a hell of a beginning for sure. Do other people go through this? I don't know. Uh, anyway, let's talk about. Uh, let's start off in a bit of a sad place uh, here with uh, the. Uh, unfortunate passing of one of uh, the most notable directors we've had over the last three or four decades, uh, Wolfgang Peterson, German uh, film director, passed at the age of 81 years old, I believe. And uh, he, of course, came to prominence, of course, with this fantastic World War II submarine film, if you haven't seen it, called Das Boot, starring the great uh, American character actor Jürgen Prochnow, who was the lead of that film and really announced himself to Hollywood. That film was nominated for Oscars as well, which was really difficult to do, considering it was about Nazi soldiers. So pretty incredible uh, uh, film for sure, but then went on to do things like uh, Enemy Mind, The NeverEnding Story, In the Line of Fire, Outbreak, Air Force One, The Perfect Storm, Troy, uh, and the less said about Poseidon, the better. Um, but certainly a prolific director. Didn't do, well, I wouldn't say prolific, but certainly... Uh, leaving a legacy of films that people are going to talk about and rediscover for generations to come. Gentlemen, what do you think about when you think about Wolfgang Peterson and about his passing here at 81 years old? I mean, you know, I think probably his most notable film for me was definitely Air Force One, um, yeah. which was such a, what, that came out in 97, I believe, summer 97. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. Just such an incredible that was just such an incredible action movie um and i remember at the time right before the movie was released there was uh th they were going to release it with more of sort of like a uh, a rock score with like mm. uh, electric guitars and at the 11th hour i believe it was wolfgang peterson was like this isn't working and they ended up getting that incredible score yeah and it, you know he was he was a really really great director i mean you know, Poseidon, that did not turn out the way I imagine he envisioned. Yeah. Um, but also, right before he did, I think it was Troy, he was possibly going to direct the first iteration of Batman versus Superman. Wow. Like, that right. was a film that was going to happen. And I believe Jude Law they, was supposed to play Superman. Colin Farrell was supposed to play Batman. Oof. So, I mean, he was, he was one of those guys that just had, he had an incredible eye. And even if all of his films did not turn out the way that, you know, he may have wanted them to. I mean, because, you know, making a movie is a very... Um, challenging and complicated endeavor. A lot of his movies turned out really, really well. And that's why I believe he did stick around as much as he, as long as he did. And I want to say at the end of Poseidon, um, I think that was his choice to step back is like, okay, this, you know, the, the industry has kind of taken on a, a, a mind of its own. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back and do the things that I really love. And I think the, the only other thing he did after that, I believe was a German television yep. show. Yeah. So a, yeah, German film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, you can look back at his body of work and again, just a really incredible eye, really, really great director. Yeah. My, Mike, we talk about multiple um, genres. I mean, how do you go from a World War II film exploring what it's like to be a German soldier serving the Nazis, but hating the Nazis on a submarine at the time to three years later doing the never ending story and then jumping okay. into Enemy Mine, which is a fantastic 1980 sci fi film that no one talks about. But for those of us who do talk about it, we love it. Then into something like In the Line of Fire, an exploration of a Secret Service agent with Clint Eastwood that feels like an Eastwood-directed film, yet is very much not an Eastwood-directed film. Then something like Outbreak, then Air Force One, an action film, then something like Perfect Storm, then Troy going back in time. So certainly multiple genres, multiple types of films here. He was able to be uh, successful in directing and certainly financially successful in directing. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I like. I mean, as you go through that list, it's like every single one of those, even if they're not your favorite movies, you're like, that's a banger movie. Like that was a big movie. Like I remember that. Like I remember sitting in the theater watching that. Um, for me, this will not come as a shock to anybody. Uh, his legacy is he made Never Ending Story and a lot of other stuff, but Never Ending Story is absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, his most important contribution to film because. That movie shaped an entire generation. Like, I, my dad took me to see Never Ending Story as a little kid. I didn't even know what we were going to see. I think my dad was just like, oh, here's like a kid's fantasy movie. That was some dark fucking shit. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what even is happening right now? And it like, in an era where there was no CG, where you didn't have the ability to use digital effects to do things, like everything was with miniatures and interesting camera shots and forced perspective and puppetry and like there was a dude on a racing snail there was a guy (laughs) flying a bat there was a rock biter there was a luck dragon like that movie rocked my fucking world i thought that that wolf the gamoric was in my bedroom closet for at least three years like i think half the reason that i do a lot of the things that i do today professionally is because of never ending story Um, so to me, like when, when I heard that he passed, like it was like that, I just heard the never ending story score in my head. Like I was like, yep, rest in peace, buddy. Hope you have a good time in Fantasia, ride that (laughs) luck dragon into the sky. Um, but I mean, all of his films were great. I mean, I agree with you. I think enemy mine is an amazing film. And the other thing that does come to mind, I don't know why, but with uh, in the line of fire, um, which is a great movie. There, I remember as a kid, there's that moment where I think he's sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and Rene Russo wa- is mm. walking away and he has the whole, if she looks back, she's interested. If she looks back, she's interested. Remember, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of this course. One moment? I, <clears throat> for the rest of my life after seeing that movie, yeah. when guys walk away from me, mm-hmm. I will sit there and go, if he looks back, he's interested. If he, like I literally, like that is a random moment from a movie that I think has stuck with me that every single time I'll be watching a guy like walk away from getting coffee and then he turns around and I'm like, bingo. So thank you for that, Wolfgang Peterson. I appreciate it. It's like Bronx Tale, right? If she opens the door for you, she's interested. You know, you learn these things as you go along in life for sure. And look, he was was a well compensated uh, and certainly successful uh, film director here with the amount of money he made in his films. He has made in his career almost $2 billion in box office with his movies and none of these movies are tentpole pictures or franchise pictures or uh, pictures that are, you know, uh, um, were there for an installment in the Marvel franchise. He's number 76 of, of all the directors of all time with the amount of money he was able to make at the box office. This is a German film director coming over to the States. We know there's not a lot of directors from other countries are able to come over to the States and successfully keep making money for a number of decades. You look at uh, perfect storm made $328.7 million. I mean, a film about a boat getting capsized by a tidal wave, $328.7 million air force one, $315 million. And you look at Troy over $500 million worldwide. So whatever your complaints are about some of his movies, the movies made money and the man was able to do that. And maybe you're right, Shannon, maybe Poseidon, that was pretty much it for him. He's like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. People clearly don't want to see my stuff. I'm exhausted. I'm going to go relax for a while. Listen, man. That's his, his, uh, his right to do that, but certainly leaves an incredible legacy for other you, people to enjoy later you on. You say what you will about Poseidon. <laughs> I sat in that movie theater and I, there is a joy 
in a packed movie theater when the entire theater turns on a movie at the same oh, that's, time. That's a fair point. Yes. Like where like like I everyone's sort of giggling and laughing and like this isn't great. And then you reach a point in the movie where something so stupid happens. Yeah that the entire theater starts laughing. And from that point on, everyone's like, oh, we have permission to make fun of this. And that theater just goes. Yeah. That, was a, that was a terrible movie, but a great <laughs> night at the movies for me. I mean, Richard Dreyfuss wanted to kill himself at the beginning of the movie and everyone else dies while he stays alive all the way to the end. Oh, what the, what the, what? Anyway, all right. Uh, anyway, let's move on. But 81 years old, Wolfgang Peterson, we send you our thoughts uh, and uh, comfort and appreciation for uh, what you're leaving us, because uh, many people are going to discover these films going forward and have fun with them for sure. All right, let's move on to our main topics here. Michael, I think you take it away. For oh, wait, actually, let's take a break as we talked about it. There it is. Let's take a quick break. I'm learning on the fly here before we get back and start with our first topic of the show. Bum, 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 I, I couldn't remember. Person. I couldn't remember what everybody was talking. Sorry. Never-ending story. <laughs> the song leads into the topic. That's you would true. know this if you'd done it before. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, speaking of topics, uh, yeah. So, House of the Dragon. Uh, House of the Dragon premieres uh, this Sunday on HBO and HBO Max. And uh, you know, we covered the trailer. We have talked about it. Uh, a lot of excitement, maybe. Uh, it's kind of what we wanted to talk about. Like, how are we feeling? Um, I, I think really early on in the Geek Buddies existence, we were covering those season eight episodes. And yeah. although John Roca held out as long as he could, he finally had to admit that I was right. And that was a stinker. Uh, and it did not do great. And uh, But Game of Thrones, taken as a whole, over eight seasons, majority of it pretty beloved. So I guess the big question is, is House of the Dragon going to recapture that magic? Um, are we all excited about it? Are you sitting at home stoked about this? Are you nervous about this? Do you not give a shit about this? Like, is HBO uh, going to be able to do what they are clearly trying to do, which is revive this brand and get people stoked and obsessed with Game of Thrones and the world of Westeros the way we were in those early seasons? So... Gentlemen, how are you feeling? Are you excited? Are you not excited? What are your uh, what are your hopes, dreams, aspirations for the show? <laughs> Shin. Well, I I think it was before the first trailer, right after the first trailer was released. John had seen it before oh, we yes. had because yeah, yeah. he, he had done his uh, trailer reaction. So just on the side, I texted him like, you know, what'd you think? And you know, with text, you can kind of um, interpret. Uh, tone and so from the the tone that i was interpreting john's text was something like you know silver-haired woman wants a throne there's dragons <laughs> and so i was like all right so watching the trailer um it looked it looked visually it looks uh it looks like a visual feast i mean it looks really really good they they have a they have a banger cast um i think it's all going to come down to what what who the characters are because ultimately that's what sustained Game of Thrones for that many seasons was, you know, yeah. you, you, you start off in season one with a very defined opinion of Jamie and Cersei Lannister. And then by season three, you're, you're changing your mind. And so, and, and, you know, you meet these characters and if you don't know the books, you meet these characters who you do not know offhand are going to play such a huge role going down, right. going down the, you know, the path, like, like the onion Knight. Um, 
so it's all going to depend on the writing. And uh, I believe, you know, George R. R. Martin is is uh, credited as a co-creator. And I believe it's uh, the, the showrunner from Colony. I think his name is Ryan Condal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just going to depend on that writing. In terms of the directing, based off the trailer, I mean, it, it looks great. I mean, it looks it looks what like what we have seen. But that was all good. Like the the issues yeah. with uh, especially the eighth season of Game of Thrones, it was never the, the directing. It was never the performing. Right. It was it was where the writers chose to take some of those characters. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's just it is all going to squarely um, rest on the shoulders of the writing. So uh, you know, it seems like a do over for season eight almost. Like all right, if we <laughs> if we had another swing at this, what would we do? And so are you? So are you right now? As of this moment. Excited, uh, curious, don't really care. Where do you put the Shannon McClung interest meter? Um, this is not quite disinterest on the level of Rise of Skywalker. Oh. <laughs> um, but it's it's middling. It's middling. Like there, we have a lot of stuff coming out in the next six weeks. Yeah. So, am I going to watch every episode? Absolutely. Am I going to watch it on the night it comes out? Probably. Um, it's one of those things like if it's great, great. If it's not, eh, okay. Um, yeah, I would, uh, scale of one to 10, it's probably at about a six, six and a half. Johnny? Well, you'd have to put it at nine, nine and a half, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I, I think what you said, uh, Shannon, is uh, a good point here that this is their second shot at this. And this feels very much like, the Force Awakens. You know, there's been a little bit of a time. I was thinking that it's very much that, yeah. Yeah, it, there's been a little bit of time since that season eight. We've kind of calmed down as a society in our anger. We've moved on and seen other things. There's been enough of a break. They're setting this 200 years before the events, or 175 years to be more precise, before the events of the Game of Thrones series that we saw. But as you said, Shannon, they're bringing, as I said to you, Shannon, they're bringing back you know, a silver-haired woman, the Targaryens, the Lannisters, the Starks. There's the 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 the, the um, ancestors of those families are going to be part of this, uh, and and the idea of going after an Iron Throne, the idea of dragons, all of that is going to be here. It's a civil war. There's a you know sister against brother, uncle husband against brother husband. There's all kind dragon against dragon even. So there's a lot of that to keep you going. Plus, yes, George R. R. Martin is involved. He's in. He's been in all the behind-the-scenes footage that they've released. And the vignettes that they've done, so that lets you know uh, the that that calms your fears here because certainly Benioff and Weiss going off the books, it worked for season seven for me, and then in season eight clearly went right off the cliff in flames. So you're looking at this one, and this one feel, with George R. R. Martin involved, plus Miguel Sapochnik being involved, who directed some of the best episodes of the Game of Thrones series, also gives me hope. Mm-hmm. And everything I've seen, trailer wise, vignette wise, interviews, what the Comic Con stuff, like. All of it gets me excited. So now I am willing to walk back into this fire and come out with three baby dragons and a big smile on my face. So what what do you guys think? Or what do you think, Mike? Uh, well, I think I mean I think what I think you kind of nailed it. When when I was working at Hasbro, they talked a lot about brand potential. Mm. Uh, and brand potential means that like you have a brand, maybe like you squandered it, maybe you had a shitty cartoon come out, maybe nobody cares about it anymore. But you got this brand, it's in your library, and there's potential, even though it might not have been uh, the bla- the last version of it or the last iteration of it, or for Hasbro, the last toy line wasn't successful. So, you know, we've just seen this happen with Prey, 
on Hulu. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Predator as a brand is probably something that, especially when you look at those last few movies, people are like, those fucking Predator movies are awful. But Predator as a brand still had a lot of potential and Prey proved the point. You know, Prey has kind of taken Predator and now everybody's obsessed with it. So similarly, Game of Thrones as a brand, I mean, you look at where it was at its peak, it had, it was huge. So yeah. the brand potential is there. The desire for people to want to want to like Westeros. Like everybody wants to love it. Everybody wants that feeling that we had, especially in like season five and six, where we couldn't wait to see Game of Thrones on a Sunday night. Like everybody wants that to happen. So there's a lot of potential there. Will they be able to execute it? I think, you know, the Force Awakens example, I think is really true because look, we all kind of agree that Force Awakens, whether you love it or hate it, was kind of like a, let's just do a new hope over again. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's not the Empire, it's the First Order. It's not the Rebellion, it's the Resistance. And so now it's like, this isn't Daenerys. It's another Targaryen <laughs> with other dragons fighting different Lannisters. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I at this point, given Season 8, I will give you, give me the same thing I had before and get it right and then see where you go. So... Uh, there's a lot of potential. I'm probably between you guys. Like, I'm not at a nine because I, I was really burned on season eight. But I am, I'll put it at like a seven, seven and a half. Okay. Okay. If only they had had the guts to let her just lay waste to the entire Westeros and start all over again. If only they'd had the guts. I mean, um, but the, well, what do you guys think? If only the, <laughs> they had figured out how to end that stupid Bran is the king with the oh, God. God. No doubt. <laughs> it wouldn't happen if she'd laid waste to everybody. Um, the other side of this, real quick, um, there are rumors about a Jon Snow spinoff going, uh, you know, at some point connected to this. Apparently, Kit Harrington, not connected obviously time wise, but certainly right. connected to the Game of Thrones coming back. But Kit Harrington says he's very interested in this. So, gentlemen, do you, if this is successful, do you anticipate that that will get the, uh, not just the green light, but the speed green light to get up there as soon as possible? Yeah, yes. if if this if this proves to be a a critical and audience success, absolutely. I think yeah. this is this is just going to extend the Game of Thrones uh, brand. And you know, by the end of the end of season eight, I mean, nobody had an issue with Kit Harrington's performance. It was again, it was sort of right. like, wait, you're you're going north of the wall, but the wall's down. Okay, um, you know, if you can, if you have a writer come in and crack a really good Jon Snow story, I think absolutely well, they would go back to that well. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot with Star Wars, about going back in and sort of retroactively fixing some of the things that maybe weren't great in other versions, whether that be the prequels or, you know, like like we talk about it a lot, like how Clone Wars in the animated series kind of really fleshed out that prequel era and answered a lot of questions and yeah. did some stuff that we like. And I think for most people, I mean, one of the big issues with season eight of, of, of uh, Game of Thrones is we make such a huge issue in Game of Thrones about Jon Snow's parentage mm -hmm. and who his parents are and how he came to be with the Starks and everything. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, with Arya killing uh, the Night King and then Bran becoming... You're like, so all that parentage stuff meant nothing? Like, yeah. what? So exactly. why? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it actually, as as disappointing as that is in season eight... It just sets you up for a home run in a Jon Snow series. Like yeah. start jo start a Jon Snow series with him being like, well, I just found all this stuff out. What do I do with it? Like, why does this matter? And give us a series that says, oh, by the way, this is why this is actually important. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, it's all there. They're, like I said, brand potential. Like, it's all there. 
yeah. uh, if they can just crack it. Yeah, and we'll find out uh, this Sunday, uh, which is going to be exciting to see for sure. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it on the show or some version of the show for sure. Um, all right, well, let's take another quick break here uh, before we jump into our next topic. And we'll be right back right after this. Bum, 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 bum. Flash! Mm. Ah! Oh, didn't want to. Oh, this, this, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be a thing. I got you. I got you. Uh, well, let's move <laughs> on to a little, a little bit of an uncomfortable topic here. Unfortunately, I haven't saddled with these two uncomfortable topics for the show, but uh, let's talk about the Ezra Miller situation. Finally, we've been talking about it for weeks. Uh, and finally, in a statement provided by a uh, two variety, rather, by a representative of Ezra Miller, they broke their silence about their troubling behavior here that they've exhibited recently. Uh, the statement reads this, having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental health issues and have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I am committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life. This was met with uh, so, uh, cheers, but also derision, skepticism, concern, and then was quickly pushed aside because I think people are at this point now about or with Ezra Miller that uh, or about Ezra Miller, I guess, that they're they've got to see the um, the work. They've got to see the the proof in the pudding or else they won't believe this. So uh, what did you guys think about the apology? Do you believe this? Is this Warner Brothers PR? Are we being cynical to question it? What do you gentlemen think about this apology for Ezra Miller? Because. Already it came out that some people, and we know people who uh, texted us and let us know that early screenings of The Flash have been going on and people are responding very, very positively to this movie. So is this a little bit of Warner Brothers doing some brand saving here as well? Yeah, I think anytime a uh, a uh, known known individual has any sort of uh, uh, public, public crisis, public issues... Um, anytime that apology comes out, of course, there's going to be skepticism. Of course, it's going to be like, did this person actually sit down and write this out? Yeah, probably not. I mean, it was probably your, your, uh, publicity team. It was a studio's publicity team. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think we've, we had all, I want to say everyone had been saying leading up to this, like flash movie or no flash movie. This is a, this is a troubled person. This is a troubled individual. Yeah. They need to get help. And now that it seems like that help, they are asking for that help. That's that's the the, the course that's been set. Then you have the same people who would be like, I don't believe it. And it's like, okay, like, what, what do you want? I mean, all 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 they can do right now is is try and go get that help. Um, but I don't think it's coincidence that, as we said, like there have been uh, test screenings of the Flash. I spoke to someone who who had seen it and they said it was like, like that is an incredible movie. Like that is fantastic. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if this was Warner brothers finally getting through to them or their family or their representatives. But at the end of the day, they seem to be going to seek help, which is the most important thing. Yeah. The mom, uh, their mother was apparently involved too, as we uh, talked about a couple weeks ago, I think on the show that she was uh, taking more active, approached all of this mike what are your thoughts when you hear the apology when you look at the conspicuous timing of it all uh what are your feelings here about ezra miller and and, and what uh, they might be doing yeah i mean look it's it's a no-brainer that this that everything shannon said is right like this is a pr move on warner brothers part it sounds like the flash movie is actually really good which is yeah. great news for everybody um and it sounds like they are doing whatever they can to 
salvage Ezra Miller's reputation so that they can release this movie. Uh, I mean, that's that's what's happening. Now, whether or not Ezra Miller and their family and everybody else is really committed to figuring out what's going on with them and, you know, kind of turning over a new leaf, you, you could, both things can be true. Like, mm. Warner Brothers PR can be like, we wrote this thing up, we need to get this out, we need to get back on track. And Ezra Miller could be like, I have really fucked up. I want to fix my life. Like both of those things can exist at the same time. So you can be cynical about it and at the same time go, but this also is real. Like, you know, like it's like, it's not like it's either or. Uh, So hopefully both things are true. I think traditionally, sometimes in Hollywood's history, uh, the public facing image of I'm going to do better and the behind the scenes truth don't always match up. So, you know, whether that's true here or not, The reality is, uh, and this is the cynical part, um, given that this apology is coming out now and The Flash is supposed to come out when? June. Uh, June of next year, yeah. Um, Yes, if if Warner Brothers PR stays on top of this and Ezra Miller doesn't attack any more people or get arrested or rob liquor, uh, by the time The Flash comes out, we will probably all have moved on from all of this and whether Ezra Miller has actually gotten the help or not, we won't care and we will be excited. That Flash trailer will come out and we will have forgotten everything and be like, oh, God, this looks amazing. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, we have covered this and covered this and talked so yeah. much about Ezra Miller. So I'm almost happy that they are going to get the help so that we don't have to talk about this until we see a trailer for The Flash. Yeah, I'm going to make this quick. Uh, they, uh, you know, I've done my own kind of uh, mental health therapy, that kind of stuff, been in some pretty dark places and climbed out of them. So I understand this idea of being an intense crisis. I never threw a chair at a woman or tried to choke a woman out by a, a dumpster uh, or stole liquor from someone's house. Uh, Michael said I could borrow it. So uh, I, I've just never done that kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, so um, you know, uh, I, I'm a bit weird about the apology because the apology wasn't specific. The apology was more general. And you're right. It felt like it was written by a publicity team. And so maybe this is the way of brushing it under the rug. And I look at Will Smith, who's having to issue multiple apologies, doing the video that he did recently, which I did a reaction to, but Variety tore apart. He can't win no matter what he does, Will Smith. And it's a little frustrating. Whereas with Ezra Miller, I'm sensing more people are, are more willing to forgive them and be more willing to push past it or brush it under the rug. And I found this to be interesting considering they uh, Warner Brothers Discovery was getting so much crap for the Batgirl decisions. Even as we record this today, they issued they, they took off 30 new shows on HBO Max, including an animated show that was just about to be released. and was almost finished or finished in the can and was going to be released very soon. So there was some bad PR there as well. Zaslav was hit, taking a lot of PR hits over that situation with Batgirl. And then they came out and defended J.K. Rowling against any kind of attack she might because she defended someone rush so people thought it was weird they would defend and make a statement about jk but they haven't said a word about ezra miller and then this comes out so yes i I will say as the older of the three of us i am very cynical and skeptical about this having been through my own stuff with head therapy so i want to see the work i want to see the results i want to see the interviews and then i want to know from my people who i know who are backstage or behind the scenes here in hollywood my sources that it's actually true the work they're doing you know i i'm so tired of as michael pointed out finding out what they're really like behind the scenes versus what they tell you they're like 
on camera. I think that all needs to be exposed. I'm not the Corinthian. I'm not uh, John D here wanting every lie to be exposed, but I certainly don't want bullshit to be out there and having two different approaches. So I do wish them well. If this is a legitimate, honest attempt to therapy, then I'm 100% in their corner. Please get better. Uh, uh, triangulate what's wrong. Work on the process to get out, climb out of that. I wish you well. But if this is a, a more of a PR brand saving type of thing, then I think it's more negative energy to throw into the pile. And that will always destroy whatever you're trying to do down the road. So we shall see. But as Michael said, we're all pretty sick of talking about it. So now go get the therapy. Hope that works for you. And let's revisit this down the road in a little bit of time, for God's sakes. Um, all right, let's take a break real quick. And then we'll get into our third topic here. Shannon, Shannon taking us into the land of trailers. Do 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 really really yeah I mean that's good I like no 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 that was gonna be the closer yeah but but thanks for spoiling it how can it be the closer we're gonna move on to the next topic you just told me that it goes to the next topic you can't have it both ways McClung I'm gonna I was gonna lead into Cobra Kai and then go to Wednesday but. Since the bag, the cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> trailers, trailers, trailers. <laughs> now, with all of our streaming strife as of late, you know, it's, it's easy to forget that we actually still have some very cool, uh, some very cool program coming our way this week, both from Netflix. So uh, the first trailer we're going to talk about, which Vogel will not be able to contribute because he's not caught up on this show, <laughs> is the fifth season trailer of Cobra Kai. <laughs> My goodness, you know, we get more of uh, we get more of Terry Silver where, you know, we're dealing with the aftermath of the uh, what is it? The All Valley Karate Karate yes. Tournament. Yes. Karate Championship. Um, John, we, at the end of season four, Vogel, plug your ears. At the end of season four, we saw John Kreese go to jail. Terry Silver set him up. Yes. This show. What? <laughs> <laughs> this show is so ridiculous. Yeah. But it's also the type of show that my wife and I will burn through and then we will talk about how ridiculous it is and then we'll watch the next episode again. So, John, I'll just throw it to you yes. as someone who loves this show. Yeah. What do you think of our first look at season five of Cobra Kai? I loved it. I thought it was great because season four really pushed the limits to me to the point where I was like, am I going to come back and see this again? Because some of this was really cheesy and like the worst of the cw type approach now cw mostly gets it right but when they don't get it right it's really obvious when they don't get it right and so it felt that way in season four at certain moments that being said thomas e. and griffith coming back was awesome so the idea that mikey barnes is coming back in season five sean kane and that excites me on so many levels because that film congratulate three is terrible but they were able to redeem thomas e. and griffith in season four as that character of Terry Silver, so having his boy coming back from Karate Kid 3 to maybe be a soldier for him or maybe even against him possibly is going to be interesting because they're also bringing in a new sensei to be a part of this as well to kind of uh, uh, you know destroy everybody, this, uh, this uh, fantastic Australian actress. I sat next to her at the HCA Awards, and she was really excited to be a part of this. Sorry, I've, I've got to bring up her, her name, Alicia... Uh, she's an Australian actress. I forget her name, but she's coming in as a new sensei who is going to kick a lot of ass on this show. 
Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Alicia Hannah Kim, that's her name. That's going to be a lot of fun to see her kicking ass on the show. So overall, this looks like fun. And we've got ramifications of what Terry Silver did. Remember, Tory saw that he paid off the refs to help them win. So, and he's t- trying to turn. I do, Cobra, I do remember that. Into, like, I'm not, you know, into an all Valley thing. So, I mean, we've got Johnny driving a car, driving an Uber or a ride share. We've got Daniel going back to his dealership, but if, and Chosen is here. So this is going to be a heck of a thing that he's going to line, that, that uh, uh, LaRusso is going to line up with Lawrence against Terry Silver. Is it going to be enough? And I wonder who else is going to pop up out of the woodworks as we go into season six. Hillary Swank, the red phone is is, is ringing right now. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on the trailer at all as someone who has only seen season one? I mean, guys, <laughs> what's going to happen next? Huh? Am I right? I mean, Vogel's comments yeah. are are perfectly in line with I the agree. Line. Like, best, what best trailer reaction it? I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> what else can happen in the valley with this karate franchise? I know. The I will say the 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 quick glimpse that we get of a private plane coming in in oh. this cadre of sketchy senseis one's got an eye patch like this is so silly yeah and i can't wait to watch it on <laughs> september 9th <laughs> on netflix so going into our next trailer which vogel gave away it is the first look at wednesday from uh, alfred goth and miles millar half of the episodes i believe being directed by tim burton so this is what happens when wednesday becomes a teenager and has to go to a private school uh the nevermore academy and starts to solve murders this is this sounds just as a pitch this sounds fantastic and then you look at the cast who they have uh luis guzman as gomez uh, Captain Zeta Jones as Morticia, and yeah. then they, you know, they just released their stills a, a day or two before the trailer debuted, and this looks fantastic. But I'll throw it over to you, gentlemen. What did you think of our first look at Wednesday, Michael? I mean, it's really it's a joy when you watch a trailer and it just gets everything right. Like whether or not the show is great will you know remains to be seen, obviously. But that was a hell of a trailer, uh, just from top to bottom, just setting up sort of what Wednesday is like at a regular academy and then kind of (laughs) revealing the Nevermore Academy. Uh, It just, it feels like Adam's family. I mean, I think for me, like, like, you know, when I was really young, I did like on TBS watch the old black and white Adam's family. But I think for most of us, though, you know, Adam's family and Adam's family values is kind of like what we think of as like, that's the bar for like an Adam's family story. And this really just looks like it gets it. Uh, It just really looks like, it has that kind of same tone. It kind of has that same humor. Everybody looks like they're having a blast. It looks like a Tim Burton movie. I mean, you know, we've had, Tim Burton has had uh, some ups and downs as far as his movies of late. Uh, and this feels like it's getting back to that Tim Burton that we all really know and love. So, uh, you know, there, there's I, there's literally nothing bad I can say about this trailer. Like watching it, I had a stupid grin on my face and literally cannot wait to watch it. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Look, I'm, I'm I'm already on board because of the Latino casting and Latina casting that is going on here. Jenna Ortega looking fantastic here, as Michael pointed out. Luis Guzman coming in as well. Catherine Zeta-Jones being a part of this. It was kind of an honorary Latina with what she did with Zorro. So I know she's Welsh, but still, it was it's great to have her being a part of this. 
And then this idea, I mean, the way it's starting out with the Nancy Reagan High School, that is perfect. A nice Nancy Reagan High in. School just got me. It got me. I was laughing so hard. Like, I was like, oh, Jesus. Okay, I get what this school is. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, in a world now where everyone's trying to play it safe and be nice, it's nice to have a little bit of danger, a little bit of poking the bear type thing. So Nancy Reagan High School right off the bat was great. Piranhas in the water. I mean, genius. And then, boom, the Nevermore Academy. And this idea that feels very similar to the summer camp uh, sequences with Wednesday in the in the films that we saw back in the 90s, 1990s, this idea of everyone trying to make her fit in, everyone trying to make her be a part of this. And then you throw in Gwendolyn Christie, who was fantastic in the Sandman uh, series, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Having her be a part of this, I think, is going to be great as well. So, uh, And this feels like Tim Burton back to being Tim Burton. You know, it mm-hmm. feels a little bit of that kind of a, with a peculiar, uh, the house of peculiar, whatever it's called there. Uh, Miss Peregrine, Miss Peregrine, Peregrine School for Peculiar Children, I think. That's it, yeah. I'm retired as a Schmodown guy. So, yeah, those <laughs> things, that's, that with uh, combined with a little bit of Beetlejuice, with a little bit of uh, Edward Scissorhands, the vibe here is very much uh, right on point for Tim Burton. And you compare that to how terrible Rob Zombie got the Munsters rollout. Oh. This is one million percent better and it looks exciting and looks well done more than anything else and i think that's good and jenna ortega comes off looking perfect what a great spiritual heir to christina ricci and the original wednesday adams from the uh, from the old series so i love this this looks fantastic i'm 100 percent on board and you actually bring up a really good point just insofar yeah. as like the the beginning of this trailer with Wednesday at Nancy Reagan Academy or oh Nancy Reagan like like it that very much is like what we consider like that that's what works with Wednesday Adams that's what Christina Ricci yeah. did it's like you take Wednesday put her in a normal environment she doesn't fit in hijinks ensue so like the trailer yeah. kind of starts there and we get it but as soon as you get to Nevermore Academy you're now putting Wednesday Adams in a environment that is more fitting for Wednesday Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And outside of the Adams house, that's not something we've seen a lot. So I think it's like what this trailer does a really good job of is it gives us a little taste at the beginning of the Wednesday Adams that we know and love. Right. Uh, you know, Wednesday Adams going up against the establishment kind of vibe. Yes. And then it totally veers into this other area where we're like, oh, this is, we're going to see a Wednesday Adams that we haven't actually ever quite seen before. We're going to really get to see this character kind of grow in new ways. So yeah. it's a really good trailer that kind of gives you the nostalgia, but then also offers up something new, which is like the best possible combination. And, and this yeah. might freak people out real quick. Sorry, Shannon. This might freak Luis Guzman is actually the most accurate looking Gomez Adams <laughs> we've had. Not John Aston, not uh, Raul Julia. Luis Guzman is the more accurate looking one. And people are like, I saw people freaking out that Luis was not attractive enough to play the character. I'm like, are you crazy? Go and look at the original drawings. Luis is much more closer to what the artist intended Gomez Adams to look like. Sorry, I mean, look at the Adams family animated films. And that is yeah. what, that yes. is what Gomez, that's what Gomez looks like. Right. Now, while this uh, show does not have a particular release date yet, one would have to assume oh. with Halloween right around the corner yeah. that, uh, that we would probably be seen Wednesday this October. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, and real quick, arrest my case. I mean, arrest my case for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> all right. Anyway. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here again and we'll uh, head into our main topic, which is the Sandman series episodes one through 10. This is going to be a spoiler review. So if you haven't watched 
uh, the series, uh, I would encourage you to do so before you go forward on the show. But if you don't care, then hang around. We're going to have a fun conversation about it for sure. And we'll be right back right after this. Do, 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 Maybe a bit slower. You are kidding. Come on. The notes, the notes. Um, <laughs> listen, Michael is the bigger, the, the most knowledgeable Sandman fan of the three of us. So I think I'm going to turn this over to you, Michael, to, to start off this discussion, to lead this discussion uh, uh, on the Sandman series, which debuted a couple of weeks ago on Netflix. Uh, please take it away. Yeah, well, if you've been listening to the show, you know that uh, with all of the news of Sandman coming out, when the, when, the, when the pictures were released, when the trailer was released, when we came back from Comic-Con, I was definitely on the I don't know train. Like, mm-hmm. if you are a lover of the comics, uh, you know, most people consider it almost completely, like, unadaptable. You're never going to be able to get this right. And I was definitely super nervous. And while I do have some things that I don't love about the series, I, I actually read somebody... Uh, somebody on Twitter posted this and this is kind of sums it up. It's like, I don't think anyone is ever going to get Sandman completely right. Mm -hmm. That being said, the amount that they did get right in this series is shocking. Yeah. And so even though I have parts of it that I don't love and I don't think they nailed, uh, I'm actually overwhelmingly happy after watching these 10 episodes. I think that it tonally nailed what the vibe of the Sandman is. I think they, uh, in, in the, some of the changes they did make, um, I understood why they made them. I don't think they were always 100% successful, but I think a lot of them were pretty successful. Yeah. And actually, I kind of found myself, the first two episodes I was a little bit unsure because I think that's where a lot of the bigger kind of structural changes took place to kind of make it work as a season. But by the time you got to the third episode on, I was hooked, I was happy. I was excited about seeing things that I didn't think that they were going to include that they did. Um, I think the cast by and large was absolutely killer, fantastic with just a few kind of minor exceptions. Um, and it felt like Sandman to me. Like I, I, I'm excited to see where this goes. I want them to go all the way through and do all 10 volumes now. Um, I thought that, uh, Tom Sturgis did a great job as dream. Um, I think like just from top to bottom, like I, I actually was giddy by the end of it. I was really, really stoked. I think that, um, episodes five and six, uh, the episode in the diner and the episode Mm. with death are the two absolute standout episodes. I think those are two just almost flawless hours of television. Um, so I, I was thrilled. I can talk in detail about some of the changes or if like, you know, as we we get into it, but all in all, um, as a Sandman fan, and this seems to be the general vibe, most people, Friends of mine out here that I've talked to, uh, industry people, um, just peep friends on Twitter. Like overall, the vibe seems to be: I never thought that I would get a Sandman TV show that got this much right, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I'm sitting right now. That even though I don't think all of it was perfect, I'm amazed that it got as much right as it did, and that it really stuck to that dark, creepy, weird vibe that people associate with Neil Gaiman and Sandman. So I'm very happy. Yeah, I have to echo your thoughts. Uh, I'm very happy. I liked the changes they did, uh, for the most. I don't think there. I don't think there's one change they did to the story that affected me in a way that didn't let me enjoy the series in the way they did it. And I watched the series, then reread 
what uh, what I bought. I bought the volume, volume one off of off of Amazon, and reread it after I watched the series. Uh, and I really enjoyed the decisions that they made. It made sense to update it. It made sense to go in this direction with a number of decisions that they made. And yes, I'll echo your uh, compliments for Tom Sturridge. Talk about um, the series being possibly unadaptable. The character of Dream, in my mind, was almost unadaptable, even though you guys talk about Audible. And look, doing it uh, you know, on a microphone, that is absolutely acting. But the visual of it in combo with the acting of, of voiceover, like that is a difficult thing to pull off. And I think they really got it right. I like the version of Dream that Tom Sturridge is doing. It fits with this version yeah. of Sandman, right? So I like that. Really enjoyed Boyd Holbrook, a guy who is starting to become one of my favorite actors who are currently working today. He's fantastic in that uh, Vengeance movie that B.J. Novak wrote and directed and to see him be a, a completely different character here and have such swagger in a way that he didn't have in logan was nice to see and the corinthian i thought he nailed the corinthian as much as they allowed the corinthian to exist in his form as he does in the comics as much as they allowed him to exist in the series i thought it absolutely worked i thought vivian ashambong as lucian was good as well uh, I'm a little on the, I've got enough of Patton Oswalt to last me for a while. So I would have liked another person to do the Raven, but having Mark Hamill come in, uh, and, and do Merv was so good. I mean, that is the voice as I've read it. And when Hamill was doing it, I was afraid he was going to default to that Joker voice. And he absolutely walked that line there and made it work so well. I agree with you, Mike episodes five and six are fantastic. Episode nine is the most uncomfortable I've ever been watching a show. Maybe, I don't know, in the last 30 years, like the whole idea of having a serial killer convention. And they didn't even go all the way like they do in the comics to show you the real brutality of what was going on with these people and what they've done. But the idea of having one and having these two young kids be almost prey to these serial killers it just really made my skin crawl in the best way that it should. And I appreciated that uh, as well. Um, Rose Walker, I thought the young girl was fantastic as Rose Walker. I thought she did a really good job uh, sliding in there. And yeah, that's that's that episode in the diner. My God, that was fantastic, right? The last season of Atlanta, Donald Glover and the crew were only in, I think, six out of the ten episodes. Uh, the other four or three or four episodes were just completely different people uh, telling a story. Right with John D here in this one episode, he you saw it go forward, and you know you love it in the actual volume to see the way they played it out in the diner worked so well. And yeah, the death, um, death episode with episode, I cried like I don't know three or four times through that through that episode because it's just so touching and moving and sad and tragic and incredible and crazy. So just so much about this that I really, really enjoyed. And I finished it off in two days, five episodes, one day, five episodes the next, because I was so hooked. Um, what do you think, Shannon? So, you know, not being nearly as familiar with the material mm. as you both are, um, you know, my only experience was, I think I read the first two, first two issues, Jump Ship, but then I listened to the Audible series, which I mm. absolutely loved. Um, so I'm not, the changes, I, I reached out to Vogel a couple of times, like, is this different? This, this feels like this might be different. Um, but I do think I really, really enjoyed the show. I think this would have been a Netflix series that would have benefited from splitting that first season into two. Because Ooh. after episode five, I feel like yeah. the show takes such a hard right turn 
that it is a little jarring that as an audience, I think you need a little bit of time mm. to reset. And because the first five episodes, it's it's so clear what the journey is. I have to get my stuff back. Right. And then once he gets it back, it's I mean, he even says it in episode six is like, yeah, I was so focused on this kind of like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And it's like, as an audience, I mean, like, we're kind of with you right there. And I don't think um, I think a little bit of separation would have been good. Tom Sturridge, I did not think I was going to not hear James McAvoy's voice mm. in my head. And this is what is so incredible about an about a visual medium versus an audio medium. Yeah. And because James McAvoy is Shakespearean and the, the way he delivers that dialogue, Tom Sturridge barely moves sometimes. And <laughs> for a visual medium, that is what you needed. Yeah. Like James McAvoy didn't have didn't, didn't have the luxury of being on camera. So he has to act to the to the right. back row. And I and I'm not saying that as an insult. I mean, usually that's not that's not something that you would say to compliment someone's performance. But when you are dealing with a strictly sound based uh, performance, yeah. you have to act to the back row. And with Tom Sturridge, like he was to me, he was brilliant. And I guess they did do some stuff in post to sort of elongate him. But remembering a little bit from the comics, I was like, oh, my gosh, he looks otherworldly right now mm-hmm. yeah in the best way possible they even did Char- his hair like kind of weird like it is in the comics which I thought they, was they, they did but they dialed it back i mean yeah, they dialed right, it right, back right. for the camera because i think you you look at dream's hair in the comics in the uh on on screen yeah unless you said it during the 80s the whole time like that is not going to make sense that is too that is too flock of seagulls adjacent um what they did with his hair is that it was very noticeable it was very big and pointy but it still worked um charles dance in the beginning so 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 good i mean that the 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 end of episode one where he's getting out after like finally breaking free such an awesome scene i love the actress that played lucy and i thought that was a great i thought that was a great gender swap i mean she was she was brilliant uh david thewlis as john d uh jolie richardson yeah Um, yeah both just so so good i agree with you john i really like boyd holbrook um even though at the beginning i was like i don't think he's at the beginning that was one of the things that i had to reach out to vogel um the hob gadling episode i mean I know Vogel was a little more, I mean, just, uh, he he was not sure about the performance of death because he likes that character so much. I love the way they changed for Kirby Hal Baptiste. Um, The, the not having it be the, you know, the kind of the the cute, the cute goth woman, Um, but just this gentle, just the most, the most gentle person that you could see and like watching that episode. I mean, that was a very, very emotional episode yeah. and i thought and i thought she was brilliant the last four this this is where it the the, the show kind of hit a pothole for me is the casting of rose walker and the casting of lyda hall really um yeah i thought they were both very very weak and what? i think i think they were especially weak when they were together lyda anytime hall, I, I could go with you with lyda hall for sure but i can't go with you with the. Uh... When Ro- when Rose was with Dream, when Rose yeah. with, was with a better performer, um, when she was with Stephen Frears, I think you could hide Stephen her. Fry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stephen Fry, excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, I think you could hide sort of her shortcomings as a performer. When the two of them were together, to me, it was nails down a chalkboard. It was so <laughs> okay. it was so difficult to get through. 
um, which really hurt the show for me. Um, but at the end of the day, the conclusion of that show, like I, I really hope they get to do another season because just watching that Tom Sturridge journey, getting that little bit of a sense when he, when they're in hell, when he sees, oh, what's her name? Uh, Christy? No, 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 Maz- no. When the- Mazakin? No, no, not Mazakin. Oh, 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 uh, when, he, when he sees Nada. Nada. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like hearing that in Audible, the Audible series uh, season two, like that's something I would also really like to see. So overall, the show is really, really good. There were just two casting things that did not entirely work for me. Yeah. Um. So I'm in the minority. I really didn't like the Corinthian. Um, wow. I did not think he was great. What? I think he was pretty boring. Um, that is, that was one of my big, I just found him sort of annoying. And and this might be, this might be a little bit of like me thinking the Corinthian was so creepy and awesome in the comics. It might be that I thought Riz Ahmed did a really good job in the audible, but I just found like the Corinthian was like, okay, you just seem like a generally relaxed guy, but you don't seem like a nightmare to me. Like, you're not that scary. Like you're just like walking around smiling and kind of like, like it was just, to me, it was a very flat performance, but maybe that like you two really liking it makes me go, maybe that was a subjective thing. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's Um, always subjective, but yeah, it didn't work. But I do think to Shannon's point, I mean, this is going to be a problem that they're going to continue to have with the Sandman is that when you look at what, uh, the first, like, because each of the seasons seems to be like a combination of like the three graphic novels. You have like, you have like the first graphic novel. You have like, uh, in this in this case, Preludes and Nocturnes, which is all yeah. about Dream getting his uh, accoutrement back. And then you have A Doll's House, which is all about uh, Rose Walker um, being a dream vortex and the serial killer convention and all of that stuff. And then you have like the third one, I forget what the third graphic novel is, where you get some of the shorter stories, the hobgaddling, some other stuff. And so they kind of like mash it all together. What they did here, to Shannon's point, is they put the Corinthian in the very first episode. Yeah. Uh, in, in the comics, the Corinthian doesn't show up until the Doll's House storyline. Right. He doesn't, that dream doesn't leave the dreaming at the beginning and get caught by uh, Roderick Burgess because of the Corinthian. They moved him to the beginning to sort of try to give the season an arc of a big it's bad. All a, a big yeah. bad. And so they kind of tried to set that up, which I think was a smart idea. Um, because Boyd Holbrook didn't really do it for me. It kind of like, it felt very clunky at the beginning. Um, but I think they're going to have this exact same problem. Like, I mean, the, 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 um, the hard right that they're going to have to deal with in season two between season of mists and a game of you is even Mm. more dramatic than the difference of the first half and the second half of the season here. Um, so I think that's going to be a thing that they're going to continue to struggle with. It'll be interesting to see. Um, but other than that, like, I mean, I think uh, to uh, to um, Tom Sturridge's performance, like to your guys' point, I, I didn't think I was going to like it. I really liked it. And I think one of the things that I'm most happy about about this show is that the arc of the Sandman comic book is basically dreams a dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the arc. Like the arc yeah. is like, this is a guy who, this is a entity who has been around for so long and is really tied to his job and is kind of a dick. And it takes you 10 volumes to have him kind of grow as a person. And I think like like they do most of the time with a comic to uh, 
screen adaptation, they lightened him up a little bit. The same like with Logan and Wolverine and whatever. Any character gets a little bit lightened up, so he's a little bit nicer. He's learning his lesson a little bit quicker. But they're not shying away from him kind of being an asshole. Uh, with Lucien this season, um, sure. even just setting up the Nada piece where she's in hell. I mean, they kind of say it in this season that he kind of condemned her to hell. He tells Matthew. Right. But like w- when we get to season two and you really dive into that a little bit more, you're like, dude, you're a piece of shit. Mm. And I really love that they're letting that, they're, that you didn't get those executive notes about, well, let's make Dream the real hero. He's the good guy. Like they're letting him be a little bit of a moody bastard, which is really necessary to telling the story right. I think you're, that's an excellent point to bring up, Michael, because, I mean, the, what he tra- how he treats Gaul, that, when that moment yeah. happens, you're actually shocked by that moment in the series, right? If you've read the book, you know. Well, no, because that, that, that whole Galt storyline, like, is really adjusted for the series. Yes, like, in, like right. the, 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 the nightmares that escaped that are uh, dealing with that whole part of the story in Doll's yeah. House, very different, and there's yeah. not that beautiful ending. Like, that Galt storyline was sort of tweaked for the series, but to your right. point, I think that was a really good change. It helped to yeah. underscore this is kind of what the bigger arc of this story is about, is this guy learning um, to not be a dick. Yeah, and there might be in some real validity in what you say, Shannon, because to me, reading the books, I, 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 the left turns are all part of the joy of why I like them. They challenge you as a viewer to go along and are you gonna be interested in this now? And in the series, it works, but yeah, you, but that change, oh, the series, it works for me, but in that change, though, I can see how all of a sudden it's about uh, this Vortex and Rose Walker, and all of a sudden Dream is a dick. When we were championing him in the first five, six episodes, all of a sudden now we have to question whether we should have been championing him. And look, I know some people are going to give me shit for this, but I also, in 2022, I'm looking at a white man having these black um, uh, assistants or black employees and I wonder if maybe they felt in 2022 they had to kind of soften him a little bit so that people would go along with the idea of a white dude, and he is white, leading. I know he's an endless and all of that nonsense, and endless don't have races. I'm dealing with reality and how people see it visuals, right? And this idea of like, okay, maybe it's not. So let's soften him just a little bit, but we'll still come back and hit the points of him being a dick and make it make it understandable that he's a little bit of a dick who's out of touch with situations so that when his comeuppance, which is what, maybe an episode or two later, or his knowledge or his change, it makes sense and you're okay with it and you're like, okay, I don't have to hate him now. I understand now and blah, blah, blah. So maybe they sense that to make it more palatable for people nowadays uh, overall. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Throwing it out there. Um, What about the visuals though? Michael well, I think the visual. I think the visuals were fantastic. I think I was, I was reading an article. Maybe it was in Time Magazine's review of it, but uh, you know they kind of pointed out that in an era where we can do so much, and sometimes like every, a show is just a CG, uh, you know, uh, just over the top with its CG effects. That mm-hmm. although there was some like stunning visuals here, uh, it, it didn't feel over the top. It felt really like it just yeah. like it just felt like they really created this world. I mean, like when he's walking through that gateway into hell and all the rocks kind of come alive and are moving as people that are trapped. And then the trees are kind of people like it just like, it was like, it was so unique in the way that they did it. Um, I found it really fascinating. I think the dreaming itself, uh, they did a really nice job of making that a place that you're like, yeah, I fucking want to go there. And then when you do step out into the real world, they really did let that stay grounded. 
like when you're at the serial killer convention or you're even if you're at Roderick Burgess's house, which is kind of like a big, you know, beautiful sort of ornate mansion, those kind of felt more real. And so that contrast between the more fantastical elements and the more real world elements, I think really served them well. What you, do yeah. you think of the visual shit? Oh, I mean, I thought they were fantastic. I mean, especially yeah. like to, to go back to the casting for one second. I do agree with you, John, about Patton Oswalt. Um, mm. uh, in the Audible series, it is uh, Andy Serkis. And that oh my was, God. that was a voice I couldn't get out of my head. I was like, oh, I would rather be hearing Andy Serkis right now. Oh, but that shot true. of Matthew going from the dreaming into the waking world as he goes mm. uh, you know, up through the painting. Yeah. I was like, that's such an, such an interesting way to uh to visualize that journey from one world to the next i was like that is so so cool and a lot of the stuff in the waking world i mean again i think it worked because of just how slightly different dream looked compared to everything else like he just looked slightly off um even going to the hob gadling episode where we see him i i love the way they shot that yeah. that yeah. every time Agreed. that bar door closes it opens and it's yeah, 100 yeah. years later like that was such a great great episode and um also the 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 switch for uh joanna constantine oh my god yeah she was great jenna she was dynamite yeah. such a good episode like that is like I, I don't know if that character pops up more down the line in uh, in in the Sandman, mm. but I hope she does because I loved their I loved their dynamic. I was like, this is she, this is really fun. Yeah, I mean, in the books, like John Constantine is in that first that first graphic novel and never shows up again. Um, but later in the Sandman comics, Joanna Constantine, like her ancestor, yeah. right, uh, does show up and has like a pretty important storyline. Um, and so I think like she, we will definitely see her again in that capacity. But I also think that she, as modern day Joanna Constantine, like w- was so well liked. Uh, if there's an opportunity to bring her back in, um, I think they will. I yeah. go one step further. If they do, you can do a Constantine series with her. Let's do it. Jenna Coleman yeah. is no stranger to leading series, and people have been arguing about Constantine. Constantine is it? The, uh, was it Matt? Whatever is Matt Ryan? I think Matt Ryan. Yeah, is it uh, Keanu Reeves? Let's let's go a whole different direction. I thought Jenna. She, Co- this is the most I've enjoyed Jenna Coleman in anything. I didn't. She was delightful. The biggest yeah, fan of her as a Doctor Who. What? Yeah, she was great. I'm just yeah, I'm yeah, agreeing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I didn't know. And I didn't. I didn't 100 enjoy her as a Doctor Who companion, especially when. Uh, um, uh, Capaldi came on, uh, so uh, seeing her, and I didn't see the Victoria series, which a lot of people talk about, but seeing her here, there is a, a confidence, a beauty, a strength to her that I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I've never seen her play it quite that way in anything I've seen her in, and so to me, I was immediately like, let's follow her some more. Let's hear, and she didn't overplay the emotional moment. She didn't overplay the losses when she's calling out dream about, Oh yeah. Really humanity. When here's humanity right now, you son of a bitch. Like I didn't, there was, there was a real genuine feeling of equality in the back and forth. And I like mm-hmm. that. There's, you got to have that for Constantine. Constantine can get a little unsettled, can get a little nervous or worried, but he's always got this belief that what he's doing is the right thing. And he's willing to walk into the fray and I yeah. sensed that from Jenna Coleman uh, as well. And I want to throw another. We haven't even mentioned Gwendolyn Christie. I thought she was great as yeah. Lucifer. Another change in in gender swapping. She was great as a Lucifer Morningstar. In my opinion, the fight between them was so well done. 
in the show. And then at the end, this idea of wanting and that Azazel demon was fantastic, well done as well. But having this idea that she wants to go after Dream now, uh, along with Desire, I think makes sets up a second season so fucking well. Now, in the books, is it does Dream fight Lucifer? I thought he fought the so, demon. You no, know, in the yeah. dream, in the and, and I think this was this was a change that made sense for the yeah. for the series. Like in the dream, in the in the in the comics, he fights Corinzone, uh, okay. the the demon that shows up that actually has his helm. Um, but the dream is the 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 battle is the same. It's that battle of ideas. Yeah. But I think making that tweak that Dream actually faces off against Lucifer. Uh, particularly because Gwendolyn Christie is nailing that performance. Yeah. I think that was really smart. I love the way they visualized it. And again, if you do read the comics and you know the story, knowing where that storyline with Lucifer goes oh, in right, yeah. the next season uh, is really great. And just, uh, you know, thinking about Gwendolyn Christie kind of like doing some of the stuff that Lucifer's going to do in season two, really exciting. And then the desire stuff is great. I mean, like, yeah. my, like my thing that I get so stoked about is you know, we've now seen in the series, we've seen Dream, we've seen Death, we've seen Destiny, we've seen Desire, but there's still a couple other siblings that we haven't seen coming down the pipe, and, like, who's going to be cast as them, and getting to see the entire Endless family kind of yeah. dealing with their family drama together. I mean, that's what what's, what's amazing about Sandman, is that, on the one hand, it's this kind of crazy, philosophical, mythological story about ideas and concepts and all this stuff. And I think they did a really good job of like nailing some of those big ideas. But then at the same time, The Endless is just this fucked up family drama. Uh, And it kind of sees its way all the way to the end. I mean, the stuff that they're setting up here with Lucifer and with Desire, uh, you know, the seeds that are planted in season one just continue to sprout and grow throughout the rest of this story. And I think that for me is the best part is that like knowing where things go and where I want them to go and where the things that you want to see and that you're excited to see as a Sandman fan, they planted all the seeds correctly. Even if I don't like every single change or I didn't like every single moment or I didn't like every single performance, the seeds have all been planted and they can, if they execute on this, they can nail this series. And one more performance, just to throw it out there, yeah. is uh, Sarah Niles. Uh, that's that whole episode with her and David Thewlis in the cab, oh, yeah. where she's playing Rosemary. Uh, I mean, you know, she was so great in Ted Lasso, yeah. playing this kind of this colder, you know, therapist who does have that kind of gooey center. And this, you get the gooey center full on display. Yeah. And the whole time and again because i was kind of struggling to remember i'm like all right what happens at the end here please don't kill her yeah. <laughs> because the 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 interplay between the two of them i mean she was just humanity on display and yeah. it was just such that whole again the whole first six episodes for me were pretty pitch perfect wow wow strong statement all right any final words uh talks on the score uh, score was great. Yeah. Score was great. Um, and yeah, you know, just I mean, I know, I know, we've 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 touched on it, and I said I really liked her, but yeah. I just Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death. I oh, mean, yeah. I do agree. I do yes. agree with Shannon that uh, you know Death is one of my favorite comic book characters, and I think that in the Sandman comic book series, you know, Preludes and Nocturnes is interesting, but it's when you get to that episode where we meet Death for the first time that I think Sandman as a comic book series really takes off. And that's why, and and I love that personification of her. I love this sort of uh, super chipper, happy version of Death. Mm -hmm. And although Kirby Hal Baptiste is a little bit more subdued, a little bit more um, sensitive, a little bit more uh, sympathetic, empathetic, 
I still think that relationship between her and Dream really worked great. Uh, I, I think that seeing her on screen and seeing her kind of go through her day and each one of those people, like, you know, seeing that old man and like saying the Shema and then that poor guy who's like, I just need to tell her all of our flight information is on my phone and then the baby and just kind of like this whole episode oh. that is this whole sort of um, just conversation about death, which ultimately is a conversation about life. Yeah. Uh, and not just dream and how he's living his life, but ends up being just sort of this kind of philosophical discussion on what it means to live and why do we fear death and all these things. And I just think for them to have nailed that so well and for her to just own that performance in a way that made me just want to see more of her yeah. um, is great. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, like like the first, I mean, if they if they continue on with the track that they're doing, the first episode of season one, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, the first episode of season two is really likely to be a, a, a meeting of the family of The Endless, and we're going to see her come back right away, and uh, we're going to get to see some really cool shit. So I am I am excited and on board. Give me my boy destruction! Give me my boy destruction! Well, he won't be around for a while yet. He's more season, he'd be season three. God damn it! Anyway, I love Destruction, and I want to see him come in. Um, uh, and I don't even know who you cast in that role, but I, I could, Tom Hardy could be fun. All right, anyway, let's move on. Thank you all so much. Hope you appreciated our spoiler review and breakdown of The Sandman. Thanks so much for watching and listening to the Geek Buddies, and especially this Geek Buddies episode. We appreciate it madly. Uh, Mike, what do we have? Oh, Shannon, sorry. What do we have to tell yeah, if you like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies, on Instagram at the underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung, on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MKToon. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Sis. Mikey? Uh, listen, if you like talking geek news, geek items, movie reviews, trailer reviews, and like listening to Shannon McClung hum weird songs that John and I judge as soon as he does it, we are the place for you. Um, but here's what you guys can do for us. Uh, definitely smash that like button below. Uh, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below and let us know what you thought of all this stuff. Like, what are your Sandman thoughts? What are you excited to see? What do you think worked? What do you think didn't work? If you are listening to us uh, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere that uh, podcasts are available, uh, definitely leave us some stars, leave us some comments so we go up in the rankings and even more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, and send it to your friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Oh, there you go. Well, thank you all so much. Remember, as I, as, uh, as Michael just said, you know, definitely subscribe to our podcast and do all of that. And for those of you listening to us on the iHeartRadio Podcast Network, thank you very much for discovering us and enjoying, and hope we hope you enjoyed our conversation. And a big thanks to Carbon Health, who powers and sponsors the, uh, the Outlaw Nation, the Geek Buddies specifically. Go to CarbonHealth.com. Go get your healthcare questions, concerns, and needs addressed by them. And hey, maybe you're busy. You got to, uh, you know, you got to, you're always uh, pulled in many different directions. Get and download the app there so you can have a doc in your pocket for any of those questions, concerns, or needs that pop up. They got virtual care. They got in-person care, 120-plus locations all over the country, 80 locations in California alone. So they want to help you create a healthcare plan that works for you because they believe in uplifting communities just like the Geek, Geek Buddies communities to help them get uh, into better shape and into better health to be around much longer. All right, y'all take care of yourselves. Be well. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand-new episode from the Geek Buddy!
Hey's stretched out. <laughs> hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.